Would you grab your Bibles and turn to John 15 before you're seated? John 15, verse 1, we're going to read through verse 11. So I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. This is great news here. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, Jesus' joy, may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So I want to go back to two weeks ago and just give a refresher to us. We just looked at two verses. We will get into verse 3. John 14, Jesus had been dealing with the 11. Judas has left the room and he's been dealing with them with their troubled hearts. He has told them that he's going to go away and they will no longer see him. And so they have really um, had troubled hearts. And so he spends chapter 14 speaking to them in regard to their troubled hearts. When you get to John chapter 15, he's dealing with them from a place of maturity as if they understand the things that, he's th- that he has been communicating. Now they still have a ways to go and will have some confusion through the weekend and even later that night. But John 15 is a text in regard to about maturity and understanding some things. We spoke three weeks ago of three initial things that the father does in his role as the gardener or the vine dresser, um, as we look at grapes. That's the picture that Jesus is giving. And the first thing we talked about was, is that we must understand that he says that the Father, my Father is the gardener, that the church belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us. Now, we are a part of it, and we have an ownership in regard to responsibility, but ultimately, the church is the bride of Christ, and we belong to Him. And so we established that. The next thing we talked about is the the necessity that we would connect our lives to Christ, who is the vine. And so he says that in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. This word true in the Greek means genuine, it means real, it means the original, none like it. He is the source of life, and so the branches, followers, will have their life connected to the vine he must be the center of our lives in every kind of way and then we thirdly talked about the necessary work that the father does in the church among believers as the vine dresser the father is at work in the church so that believers will produce more fruit fruit we established two weeks ago 
and remind us this morning is the character of Christ being manifested in our life. So you look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Every one of those things reach their pinnacle in the person of Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, all of that is connected to Him. And so when the, when the fruit comes from our life, we are referring, and Jesus referring to His nature and who He is. And so this work of the Spirit brings out and cultivates and develops the character of Christ inside of us. And we talked about three primary things that a vine dresser does among grapes. And one is this, is that the vine dresser consistently cuts away any dead wood. Even if there's something growing on a vine that's got fruit and got grapes that's there, the vine dresser addresses that because he knows that the dead wood is going to hold back the production in regard to fruit. And so the dead wood must be removed. Secondly, the vine dresser lifts the branches. When grapes get heavy, if they're not um, held up, they will fall to the ground and eventually um, come down to the ground where it's easier for insects to come and, and to do something with them. But also they just get mud and dirt all over them and it, and it keeps them from fulfilling and becoming and reaching to a place of maturity. So, so there are trellises. We probably have all seen trellises and in uh, a vineyard before. And so the vine dresser will lift up and support the vine uh, and the branches so that there will be more fruit. And does not God do that in our lives? There are times when we need him to lift us up in the heaviness of what we are dealing with so that our lives can know him better. Thirdly, we finished um, a couple of weeks ago that even alive branches that are producing fruit the father comes and does work. He takes out his knife, and even with those that are thriving, he does his knife work for the purpose of cultivating more fruit. Now, you may have noticed it a while ago, and I spoke of this a couple of weeks ago, but I want to, by introduction this morning, remind us, Jesus, in these verses, 11, 1 through 11, there is a progression he speaks about that you will produce fruit. Then he says that you would produce more fruit. And then he gets to the place where he says you will produce much fruit. So this is a text, 1 through 11, saying to you and I, let me show you, Jesus says, what maturity, what you need to mature so that in your life you will move from fruit to more fruit to much fruit. And we will talk about the necessity, the things that are necessary in that today. And so the first thing that I do want to talk about today that we didn't get to last week and our first point is that if there is going to be fruit in our life that is going to be developed and we're going to grow to know Christ more, then there is a necessary work of the Word of God that must be cultivated in our lives. So look at verse 3. Jesus, again, speaking to the leaven, Judas is gone. It is just them he says, already, so something has taken place already. This has, this has passed. This has come to be. Already, you 11 are clean. How were they clean? He tells us, because of the word that I've spoken to you. So how do we know which branches are the true branches? And how do we know which branches are the false branches, the dead branches? We know that 
by the development of fruit, and then we'll see that in a moment, by our abiding in Christ and remaining in relationship with Him. And so Jesus says, Men, I want you to know, you've been with me, I've been teaching you, you have been listening to me, and so I'm telling you, already something has happened in your life, you are clean. Now go back to John chapter 13 just for a minute, and then we'll go back to 14. Jesus has already talked about this theme. And so he's given a little bit more clarification in chapter 15. So in John 13, verse 10, look with me there. So Jesus said to him, this is Peter, he's been addressing Peter. The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And look what he says, and you are clean, but not every one of you. Verse 11, for he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. Now again, let me just throw this out there for our understanding. There are some today who say Judas was a believer. That's not what Jesus says here. Jesus says that Judas was unclean and was not a follower and was not a believer, even though he was in the inner circle, even though he was in around the Lord, Jesus knew who would betray him, and Jesus calls him unclean. So when we get to chapter 15, and go back there, if you will, um, Jesus is referencing this. Who has gone from their presence? Judas. So as he speaks to everybody present, everybody present is clean. So back in 13, he says, all of you are clean except one of you. Indication we know who that is. And so now in 15, he's just got the 11 and he tells them, you are clean. How are they clean? They are clean by the word. In other words, they have come to a place of salvation. Now, not, not the fullness thereof in regard to the spirit, but Jesus is telling them, there is, you, are, you are clean because of your belief in me. And so he makes that clear. And so for all of us, this is important for us to see. There is no cleansing work of God unless the Word of God has brought us to a place of salvation. Now, once we have become believers and followers of Jesus, let me stop there for a second. So everybody in the room this morning who is a follower of Jesus and you're a genuine follower of Jesus, there's been repentance of sin, then, then this is true. You have been, in that moment, you have been cleansed of your sin and our sin at salvation. We have been cleansed. Past sin, present sin, future sin. Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. And so we need this aspect of ongoing relationship and of, of things. But Jesus is communicating to them, you have been made clean. And here's how, here's how every one of us have been made clean. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. So for three years, they've listened. Did they fully understand everything? No. Did anybody in the room understand everything on the day of your salvation? Have, all, have it all down? No. All of this is a process. So he's telling them, you have been cleansed. You have been cleansed, and I want you to know this. And one of what we know, that Judas is the one who was unclean. So the Father does this great work, this cleansing work through the Word of Christ to bring cleansing and salvation. Now, this is important 
moving forward, do we just set Christ's work aside and now it's all up to us? No. We continue as it began. We were saved by Jesus. We continue on by Jesus. All of this work is His work. Salvation is His work. Sanctification is His work. But how does this sanctification, this growing into maturity, from fruit to more fruit to much fruit, how does this take place in our lives? And again, I was very ambitious. We're just going to get to the end of verse 5 today, and maybe we'll get to verse 11 next week. These are really important things. And so let's look at what Jesus tells us, how this is developed in our lives. So let me tell the story. Um, I was a basketball player way back in the day. Um, um, and one of the things that I loved about basketball were free throws. And I would practice free throws, made a commitment about seventh grade, eighth grade, somewhere around in there. Um, that was a long time ago after you've had many, many birthdays. But somewhere back in there in my middle school days, I made a commitment to shoot 100 free throws, if I could, every day. And so at school, I would shoot free throws. I would come home. My dad had made a really cool uh, basketball court in our driveway. And, and I, had a, I had a rhythm that I would do. I would take the basketball. I would spin it. It would kind of come back to me. I would grab it. I would bounce it three times. I would spin it again in my hand, not let it hit the ground this time. I would do this, and then I would shoot. And I practiced that from about 7th to 8th grade all the way through my senior year. Even after practice, I would come home in my driveway, and I would shoot. Now, I don't want to brag this morning, but I'm going to just, just a little bit, okay? So, um, so my sophomore year, we were in playing our big rival in Waco, and I was dribbling the ball. We had broken their, their full-court zone, and I was dribbling the ball by the sideline, and one of their players came over and shoved me down on the ground, and I landed against kind of a, you know, the, remember the old gyms that used to, everything was really close, and so I landed a thing. So that guy got a technical. I was also fouled, and so we had a one-and-one, one, and then their coach got so upset that they gave him a technical. And so my coach said to me, you're shooting all six of these free throws. And so big city game, and so I get up on the free throw line, and I wasn't panicked in that moment. Yeah, it was a pressure situation. But I'd stood on a free throw line since seventh grade thousands of times by now. So I went through my routine six times and made all six of those free throws. Now, again, I'm trying not, I'm, I'm just, just an example. I'm a has-been now, okay? Just I'll make that clear. I was pretty awesome that night, but anyway. Why did I not panic? Why do we marvel at some believers who maybe are older and have walked with the Lord for a long time when they're going through something and we look at their life and we just go, how, how are you handling this? You know how they're handling it? For decades of their lives, they have remained and abided in Jesus. They have practiced their faith. So when these things come, what, it doesn't mean they love these things that come. But here's what's, here's what's happened in their life. There is a fruit that has come that is so powerful in a way that they know this. Watch. They know this. They know this. They know this. God's got this just like he's got everything he's ever had in my life. And he's got today, and he'll have tomorrow. And though I can't see it, I know this to be true, that if I will remain in him, 
He is the one who sustains me. So there's a fundamentals of our faith. Just like I practice free throws, there's a fundamentals to our faith that is going to develop our life when things come that we will stand strongly in our faith in these moments. And so let's talk about those things. So follow along with me for a moment. Look at verse 4. First thing I want to talk about is that abiding in Christ is commanded. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times, Jesus is going to talk about this. So look with me in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide, well, I read 5, didn't I? Yeah, I read 5 as well. Look at 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are thrown down and burned. Look at 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Now look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Look at 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Ten times. Jesus says, abide. So let's don't argue with Him that this is not important. This is commanded. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning in the room and you've come into salvation through his work, this is not an option for anybody. Ten times. You think he's stressing something that's important? Abide in my words, abide in me, abide in my love. Listen, you remember what he said? Just as I, I abided and I obeyed the Father's commandments and I abide, I I live this way, Jesus says. Following what the Father wanted for me. So first thing, or second thing that we need to see this morning is that abiding is commanded. This is not an option for us. This is to be practiced by us, period. And if we don't abide, there will be no fruit. There will be no fruit. There will be no more fruit. There will be not any much fruit aspect of things. That will not happen and take place. And so it's not possible to, to produce godly fruit without abiding and remaining in Christ. And so that's why Jesus calls us to abide ten times in these verses. So not only is it impossible to produce godly fruit, but it's also not possible to continue growing in Christ unless we abide and we remain in the things that He has taught us. All of us need to look at our life and look at the world through an abiding view of Christ. Am I abiding in this? Am I abiding in Him in this? Or am I trying to hold on to this? Am I remaining? Or am I trying to figure this out on my own? Or am I remaining in Him? And you notice what he said? Well, if you will remain in me, you can ask whatever you wish. Again, not for brand new cars. But ask whatever you wish in line with my will and my nature and who I am. And it will be done. That's how the direction our prayers go. So sometimes we're like, I don't know what to do. And so as we remain, we pray and He will give an answer. He promises that he will do that. The word abide in the Greek is a, word, is a Greek word called meno, and it means to stay put, to remain in one place, to not go away 
to not walk away, to not forsake something. In other words, don't be like Judas, who's run out into the night for money to betray the Lord after hearing everything that the eleven had heard as well. Let me tell you something. Many, many, many today are attracted to Jesus. But according to what Jesus said, many find the broad road, but very few find the narrow way. Many are attracted to Jesus, but few abide. Few remain. Few stay. In other words, you could say this. It's the persevering of the saints. The saints will continue to pursue God in their lives. Let me read a, a verse and go back to it. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 um, writes these words beginning in verse 14. He says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So the writer of Hebrews is saying the same thing Jesus is saying here. Remain, remain, abide, hold fast to the confession that there's one who's gone through the heavens. His name is Jesus. He has the name above all names. He's the Son of God. And He has called us into relationship. The most amazing thing of amazing things. He desires a relationship with us. And we are desire this relationship with Him. And so now that we have come to know Him, we remain in Him. We do not set Him aside and now try to do this all on our own. So secondly, this morning, abiding is commanded. It is not optional. Not optional. Thirdly, abiding keeps us remaining in fellowship with Christ. Listen to these pronouns. If I remember right, prepositions. You know, the older you get, you forget the grammar rules. You like you know the grammar rules, but can you talk about them? Listen to these words. In me, I in you, I am, you are, in me, I in him, if you, in me, if you, you will, in my love. This thing called Christianity is about a relationship. It's about fellowship with the one who made us and the one who came to die for us. And he is communicating to the first church planters. When you start the churches, these are the things that you're going to tell them. And you tell them this. They must remain and abide. You must stay put with me. For I am the original. I am the real vine. I'm the source of everything that you need. So abiding maintains this relationship. But there's a truth that in and around Christianity, even around Jesus, there are those who claim to be followers, but they're not followers. And Jesus is communicating. The way that you see the difference is, is that those who are truly in the faith they will, in their life, they will remain. And then eventually, over time, those who aren't there, they are cut off, they turn away, they walk away like Judas, like Ananias and Sapphira. This is not anything new. It was taking place in the Old Testament. It takes place in the New Testament. It takes place in our day. We give it lots of other names, apostatizing, 
um, or we call it deconstruction today, where, where people who claim to be followers of Jesus and they deny the faith now and they walk away from the faith. But this is not anything new. It was even happening in Jesus' lifetime. So we're going to read Scripture. Like Scripture? We're going to read some Scripture. So go to John chapter 2, and I want to show you, just in the Gospel of John, how this was already happening and taking place. John chapter 2. And then we'll work our way back to 15. So I'm going to show you that there were people who believed, but not unto salvation. They gave affirmation to Jesus, but not surrendering. So John 2, 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Now look at Jesus' response. Instead of going, wow, Jesus responds differently. But Jesus on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So there were some there in John chapter 2 who believed like Judas believed, but not unto salvation. And so Jesus wasn't going to trust himself to them because they didn't truly fully believe. Now go to John chapter 6. As you're turning there, Jesus has just given the sermon, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and people are like, whoa, 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 no. We're not doing that. And so with the 12 apostles were a large group of people called disciples. So there were other learners and followers of Jesus. Maybe it was 100 or so, 60, 70, we don't really know, but there was another group that had left their homes and for several months had been traveling around with Jesus and the apostles all over these different places. And so Jesus gives this saying in John chapter 6, and then we come to this in verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you in that group that we're following who do not believe. Now look up here for a second. Catch this. So there are people who've been traveling around with Jesus and the twelve. And they've been with him maybe for weeks, maybe months. And on that day, Jesus says, you've been following, but you don't believe. These are Jesus' words, not the interpretation. This is what he says there. But there are some of you who do not believe. And then in the scripture in 64, there's a parenthesis. For Jesus knew from the beginning of those who joined the group who those were who did not believe. And secondly, two groups here, a group that would not believe and then one about Judas and who it was who would betray him. So look at 65. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. 
After this, many of his disciples, this is not the twelve, turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus, in 67, said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now look at 70 and 71. So Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Go to John 12 now. Verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Now we're going to move on here, but but do you see the theme? There has always been those in and around Jesus who had a pseudo-belief, a pseudo-affirmation. How do you not know that they remain? Why, Why do they turn away they turn away from Jesus ultimately why because they never really believed it was just kind of mental or I like this or I'm conservative I get a good feeling when I come to church and when I'm around Christian people whatever they whatever whatever the statement might be there's always been that case there may be people in the room this morning and I can't judge that only God can judge that only he knows who are truly his But you may have grown up in the church, but you've never confessed and stayed and remained. And you may be contemplating now, maybe there may be even somebody who's contemplating walking away. And we all know people in our life who have turned their back on the gospel and they walked away and they're done with it. This has always been the case. This will continue to be the case. And the Bible speaks about that, that as we move to the last days, the hearts of people grow colder. And Paul writes in Thessalonians that people will turn away. There will be a great falling away from the gospel and from the church. So the way you... We can't fully do this, but the way that we can get indication as to whether or not somebody is truly a believer is to see, is their life over time revealing fruit? that they are becoming, in their language, more like Christ? Is their patience and tenderness and love and mercy more like Christ? Are the fruits of the Spirit being manifest in their lives? Paul writes there in Galatians 5, if we will keep in step with the Spirit, the Spirit's moving, 
We keep in step with him by submitting, not by being in control. And if we will do that, there will be fruit, more fruit, and eventually much fruit in our lives. So why is abiding so important? It maintains fellowship. It maintains fellowship and intimacy in our relationship with Christ. So I've kind of talked about this as well. We're going to talk more about it next week. But the fourth thing I want to see this morning is this, is that one of the great results of abiding is the bearing of fruit, the character of Christ being manifested in our life and we being more transformed in our lives. You know the third W and the W4, as we have taught this through the years and practiced this as a church through the years, is to notice repetitive words and sections of Scripture. So listen to this. The word abide is spoken 11 total times in John chapter 15, 10 in, these, in this text of things through verse 11. So 11 times in John 15, 10 times in 11 verses. The word fruit, bearing fruit, is used seven times in 11 verses. Do you think, he's asking a question, response question. Do you think he's trying to emphasize something? Yeah. He's trying to communicate to us the importance of remaining in him. And if we will remain in him, fruit will be born, more fruit will be born, and then much fruit will come out of our lives. And so abiding results in the bearing of fruit, a growth in this reality. And I want to remind us this morning of something very important, and I was reminded of on our trip last week. We are not to live this life in, in isolation. We are to live it in community, encouraging one another, walking with one another, dealing with one another. It's not always easy in this but it is important. We went to a place that a couple of centuries after Christ, somebody was a believer, landed at this place in the Middle East, began to build a monastery up in the mountain, and it's just absolutely unbelievable to go, what did these, look what these people built out there. Well, there's a guy there. He's the 43rd person since early centuries, about the 4th or 5th century, I think it is, who basically have they just run this monastery well he greeted us he was all dressed up it's an incredible cool place and our guide said well he speaks english we thought he does said yeah but he's not going to talk to you he's a monk unless you go talk to him and ask him questions well those are bad words to tell me i'm a question asker so I immediately saw him sitting down in this room, and I immediately walked over, and I just started asking him questions. And, and it was pretty quick. He's like, oh, no, one of these guys has shown up at the monastery today. So he wanted me to go to another room because he wanted to point to pictures because he didn't want to talk to me. Listen, church, we are not to live in a mountain. Go to the mountain for a week and two weeks and stay. But come down to the city, to the valleys below where the broken live and need to hear about Jesus. He's the 43rd in line who don't take the gospel anywhere. They stay in a nice building up on a mountain. Jesus is speaking to 11 men here in community and telling them 
if you're going to bear fruit, you're going to stay connected to me because I'm the source. I'm the true vine. So you must stay connected to me. Here's the fifth thing I think it is. Abiding maintains our spiritual health. If you want to be a healthy Christian, then you must abide. So look at the last part of verse 4. There's two words here that are so important. I just kind of dealt with it. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. It cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So if we're going to maintain spiritual health, fruit is not going to come by us living our life all by ourselves. Now the point emphasis, the main point emphasis here from Jesus is we must stay connected to Him because He's the true source. So I am the true vine, you are the branches. And so you cannot, as a branch, bear fruit by yourself. You just want to go and do your own thing and disconnect yourself from me. You will never, ever bear fruit. But if you'll stay connected to me, you will have spiritual health for it is found in abiding in me. So let me give you some practical ways that we can do this. So how do I abide? What are some things that I can do, what I can practice this afternoon or tomorrow or this week to keep myself abiding and remaining in Jesus? One thing is this. It's in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Set your, set your mind. Seek the things that are of heaven where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And then Paul writes, and set your minds on the things that are above. So seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your minds on the things that are above that are heavenly, not on the things that are on the earth, Paul says. And then he says, for you have died... And your life is now, watch, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Where's Christ? He just told us He's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. So set your mind where Jesus is. You know where Jesus is? He's in an atmosphere where the angels who are holy can't control themselves. And just all day long, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. So that's one thing that we could do that will help us abide. Second thing we could do is to set our minds on the things that are worthy of praise. Here's what Paul, here's how Paul communicated that. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable if there is any excellence if there is anything worthy of praise paul says think about these things set your mind in an atmosphere of honorable godly things let me give you a third practical way that will help us to abide all of us to abide is we must feed daily on the bread that comes from heaven. We ate the most unbelievable 
earthly bread last week. Handmade, fields of the Middle East, no gluten in it. This gluten intolerant person just gorged himself. It's amazing. Feed, feast on the bread from heaven. Here's how Jesus said it. But he answered Satan, It is written, Satan, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every single word that comes from the mouth of God. What will help us remain and abide? Feast, feed on bread that will sustain us and help us. I want you to go to 1 John now. We're going to be through in just a second. Well, not a second, but minutes. 1 John chapter 2, to the left of Revelation. Not everybody does this. And eventually those that do not abide and they've not come to faith. John, who wrote the same thing here in chapter 15, who was an ear witness of this and an eyewitness of Jesus, wrote all these things down, wrote a letter that we call 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, well, let's put 18 with it. Let's look what he says here. 1 John 2, 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Now, 19 is really key. They went out from us. Why? Well, they were not of us. For if they had been of us, what would they have done? They would have continued with us. They would have abided with us. They would have remained with us. And then he closes 19 by saying, But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So John wrote this in the early 80-90s. 50 to 60 years after Jesus died. And what was already happening in the church? There were people who said they believed, followed along for a while, but eventually they left and they walked away. So how do you tell the difference? Well, verse 19 gives some indication. Look at verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Heard that word before today? Let what you heard from the beginning abide, remain in you. And if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us. Eternal life. Our health, spiritual health, is connected with remaining in Christ and remaining in community, studying the Word, being refined by the Word together. Here's the sixth one. And if you can't tell yet, we weren't going to get to verse 11. Well, we could, but you might miss your precious football game and you wouldn't cook good chili if I kept you. Okay. Look what Jesus does next. Repetition. Very important. He said this in verse 1. Now he's repeating it again. I am the vine, verse 5. 
You are the branches. One of the things abiding and remaining with Jesus reminds us of is that He is the source. We are not the source. He is God. We are not God. He doesn't need anything. We need everything that He has. That's that's the way this works. In and of ourselves, we are insufficient. He is solely sufficient. He is is everything. And so, so abiding reminds us that He is the vine we are the branches. We don't tell Him what to do. He, is, he gives us the life-sustaining things that we need for our faith. In other words, not only he, is He the source of everything we need, He is also the force of everything that we need. He is the force and the source. He is the power of giving life that we desperately, desperately need. So abiding reminds us of his position and our position. We'll close with this one, verse 5, end of verse 5. So whoever abides in me and I in him, here it is, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, John chapter 15 is my favorite chapter of the New Testament. I I don't place it above any of the others because none of them are above any of the others. But I I think the essence and the principles um, all come down to this one word that starts with A. Everything flows out of our abiding and remaining in Him. And after hours upon hours of reading and looking at all this and writing things down, it just, this is the essence of what we need in our life is to remain in Christ, to stay. And so he does, watch, he does all the work, but we want to submit and allow him to do the work. Have you ever fought God? We fought God. No, God, you can't go into that part of my life. No, God, no. But all these other things, I'll open them up. But no, God, you can't go into that closet. You can't go into that room. And we we wrestle with God when the reality is this, is that His pruning knife is what we need more than anything. So even if we're growing and our relationship with Christ is alive, we still want His pruning knife. Because the more fruit that He produces, not that we produce, the more fruit that is produced in us by God, the more fulfilling, the more joyous. Did you notice how all this abiding stuff ended in verse 11? You'll get my joy. My joy that was mine as the Son of God, I will give it to you. It will be your joy. My joy will be your joy if we will remain and we will abide. So abiding is... It is an exercise of our will. Tomorrow morning, we have the option to wake up, and the first thing that we grab by our bed is what? It starts with a P. Second letter is an H. A phone. What if we set the Bible there and had it open? The phone's underneath the Bible, and we at least see the Bible and touch the Bible first. See, there is a discipline to our lives that we have to agree to. We have to fight with. Say no to some things, to say yes to some things. So God's not, 
God does the great refining work and pruning work and the developing work, but we've got to agree with them. They're called spiritual disciplines. So sometimes that means you wake up early or you stay up at night or you sacrifice time for this so that you can be at life group or you can be at this thing so that we're in community and we are abiding and we are learning from the word of God. And eventually we get to a place of real maturity. I thought about this morning bringing some Gerber's baby food and seeing if anybody would eat some squash and split peas. You ever tasted that? You remember that, parents? You ever, oh, was this hot enough? And you know, and you touch it to your mouth and you're like, okay, man, this kid has no idea that Outback Steakhouse exists. One day they will. And you can get some blooming onion rings. And See, for all of us, we should move to a place of chewing on and eating the deepest of doctrine and theology in Scripture. Here's how the writer of Hebrews said, solid food is for the mature. For those, listen, listen how he writes this, for those who have their powers of discernment, those who discern what truth is, they're critical thinkers and they, they live in such a way that, that they recognize things that set themselves up against the truth of God, strongholds and lofty opinions, and we say no to those things. There are those who eat solid food, and they, they, have, they eat solid food who have powers of discernment, watch this, by being trained by the constant practice of the faith to distinguish what is good and what is evil. Why do do Christians buy the lie of our culture about so many things? We don't train ourselves to distinguish what's good and what's evil. And we must do that. Deuteronomy, go there just for a second. I really, I promise I'm done. Y'all missed me and you want me to keep going, I know, but Deuteronomy 31. I want to show you that this is not new. A couple thousand years ago, God talked about people either are going to remain or they're not going to remain to Moses. Deuteronomy 31, verse 15. You'll see at the end of 14, it says, And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting. And the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud. And the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Now listen to what God says about the people he'd been leading. Then this people will rise and whore after foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. And then my anger kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. Now these are unbelievers. He's not talking about to true believers. And many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us. 
And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done because they have turned to other gods. 19. Now therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when any evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know what they are inclined to do even today before I have brought them into the land that I swore to them. And look at 22. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel. How uplifting do you think that choir practice was? That's heavy. Is that not heavy? This is not anything new. This generation God's bringing in, they're just going to, what are they going to do? Many of them turn their back. Now there will remain true believers in Israel in those days. There's always been a remnant. Praise God for the remnant. But Christ is putting forth before us this morning. What are we going to build our life on? Our ways, our thoughts, things of this world. Are we going to build our life on the incredible, merciful, graceful love of God to sinners? Who invites us into relationship. And praise His name, we get to be in relationship with Him. Have our sin dealt with. Because He bore it on the cross. Commanded. Abide. Remain in Him. And as we do that, we build our life to a place of maturity to distinguish what is evil and what is good in this culture. Listen, church. We ought to be the very first people on the, in, in this country that anytime we read a news story, hear some news come across that we recognize it, that's a lie. We should be able to do that, to distinguish the lies and to distinguish what is good and what's evil. And the only way, the only way that can happen, the writer of Hebrews says, and Jesus says, and Paul says, is to practice and live our faith by abiding and remaining and walking in the truth. And when we do that, we can destroy lofty opinions and arguments that are put up denying the righteousness and glory of God. And therefore, we can navigate our families and navigate our marriages and navigate our lives and our kids in the midst of such a corrupt culture because we know the truth. We know the truth because we have abided and we have remained in the truth. Let's pray.